From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, October 19th, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Good afternoon, Dr. Drew. Good afternoon. I should say good morning since I just woke up. Yeah, I'm feeling it myself <laughs> a little bit. I don't know what's up or what's down, but that's been been a while for a few months. This is the new normal we yeah. keep uh, trying to adjust to, and I wish it would kind of settle in so we know what we're going to have to live with. I mean, if it's all masks all the time, then uh, I want to do some shopping for some good masks. <laughs> well, KZYX has masks. We do. Uh, we are giving out to donors during our quiet drive, so uh, right. donate and get a KZYX mask. It is doctor approved. So where are we at, Dr. Drew? All right. So I've actually had a bit of a hiatus during the Supreme Court um, nominee confirmation hearings last week. So I think I have been gone for about 10 or 12 days at this point. Um, and locally, things are fairly stable, actually. We have added approximately 80 cases in the county uh, during those 12 days, which is a fairly low number. Things have dropped a bit in terms of the daily case counts. We are now up to 1,103 as of yesterday evening. Um, patients confirmed with COVID in the county. 29,215 tests have been run. Um, about 1,000, a little over 1,000 of those are still pending in lab. That's that's about 120 tests per uh, day in the county, which is just marginally enough. Um, so we're squeaking by on our testing rate in the county. Um, it would be nicer if it were up around 150 a day. Uh, so get tested, everybody. We, we need the surveillance. Uh, in the hospital, things have been actually fairly COVID quiet. Uh, there's a, currently only one single individual, uh, maybe two, um, as I'm speaking, um, in, ho- in the hospitals uh, in this county. Uh, we've added no new deaths. That is uh, still stable at 21 uh, for the county. And our case count uh, is a little over four and a half per 100,000 people per day, which is uh, pretty good. Um, it's quite good, particularly comparing uh, that number to national um, averages or regions in the country. Some parts of the upper Midwest are averaging 80, 90, 100, 120 um, cases per 100,000 per day right now. So the fact that we're at four and a half is uh, quite good. It bespeaks that California is holding things fairly steady. It's not it's not under control by any imagination, but we're, we're definitely controlling it um, in the state of California. Sonoma County is adding about 50 cases a day, um, sort of on trend with what we've been doing uh, on a population-adjusted basis. And California is, is flat uh, and has been holding steady at about 2,000 cases a day. Uh, we're up to about almost 900,000 cases in the state of California at this point, which is just an astonishing large number. 2.2% of Californians have tested positive for COVID at this point. Nationally, the picture is actually pretty grim. Uh, we are sort of on an upward uh, curve. Our third peak, if you will, um, has been surging forward for the last couple of weeks. We added 65,000 cases in one day um, a couple of days ago, and the rolling two-week average has increased 30%, which is pretty bad. In the two weeks before that, we've been adding, uh, it had been increasing at about 15%. Um, so the numbers nationally are pretty bad, and I 
I'm afraid that we're not going to see a downturn um, anytime soon or a significant downturn, though it's not winter here by any stretch of the imagination. People are going indoors um, elsewhere in the country, and that's just going to spread this around. So nationally and uh, in the state of California, we're at, at, at about 2.5% of the population um, that has COVID. I continue to hear questions, um, and we continue to have this national fantasy of herd immunity. Uh, but right now, taking 2.5% and even saying that only represents a fraction of the number of people who actually have had COVID and have some component of immunity, that's a far cry from the 60 to 70% um, that we need for herd immunity or that we think we need for herd immunity. Uh, so that's about 1 25th of the number of people um, that have COVID uh, or that have had COVID um, to, in order to uh, gain herd immunity. So 25 times the national death count of 220,000, I did the math, that's over 5 million deaths to get to herd immunity um, naturally. Uh, I, I'm not surprised that this administration keeps trotting that out because it's a, it's a sort of a good political talking point, but it's really just a, it's a fantasy, and it's a, it's a deadly fantasy at that. Well, um, it, hasn't it been proven? Uh, the countries who have tried the herd immunity approach, or at least some variation of it? Yeah, no, they they have. I mean, we had for a while been pointing to the Swedish model, um, and Sweden has you know many, many times higher death count um, from COVID than its surrounding neighbors. Um, you know, other Scandinavian countries, um, Norway and Finland, actually have it quite under control. Uh, children are back in school. Colleges are open. They have very low case counts, very low fatality, and they're controlling it without sort of this this attempt at herd immunity. And interestingly, the Swedish economy is just as crippled um, as uh, its surrounding countries. You know, we we have seen just in the last few days that China's control of this Chinese virus. Um, has led to their um, economic um, recovery, mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 interesting that we have completely failed in our control efforts, and we are still in the depth of a pretty significant recession um, with ongoing job losses. We got the worst of both uh, approaches there. Yes, yes. Um, Otherwise, um, not a lot of breaking news in the COVID world. Vaccines are. Um, being developed still. There's no breaking um, news flash there. There are currently, I believe, 11 vaccines that are in phase three trials right now. That's the last trial before it would go to FDA approval. Um, and most doctors, um, and when I say that, I, I'm, I'm talking about people who are actually science-based and not politicians, are anticipating that there will be um, the beginnings of a distribution of a vaccine probably by the end of the year. Uh, what that's going to mean in terms of our daily life, to get to your question, um, is not clear yet. Uh, it's going to require distribution and administration to a lot of people before it can really change our behaviors in any significant way. And to the CDC's credit, they've actually developed a pretty good um, 
distribution plan um, with prioritization of people who most need the vaccine because it's, we're not going to have 250 million doses all at once. And we're certainly not going to have 250 million doses times two because it's right. probably going to be a, a staged uh, vaccine. So that's kind of where things stand currently. Um, California is doing pretty well. Um, it's notable that of the 17 cases or 17 states with the highest surge right now, 16 of them are red states, hmm. uh, which I think is directly can be directly ascribed to the irresponsible, um, ascientific um, musings of our fearless leader. Uh, it's, it's depressing. Um, you know, we, we had a massive surge of cases in California in July, and I railed against Newsom's stupidity, um, and that resulted in a lot of unnecessary and preventable death. Um, but it's you know, it's it's ongoing in other states right now as these states which don't have statewide masking requirements and there's a great deal of skepticism about the about the virus and its mode of transmission, uh, just leading to significant surges in those states. I hope that we continue to keep things pretty tight um, locally and statewide. We are not within a couple weeks, as Azar said over the weekend, of something happening in a dramatic fashion. A vaccine is not going to be a magic bullet. It's going to take months and months after that before we are able to get enough induced immunity, um, induced herd immunity through a vaccine uh, before that is going to allow us to really safely relax things. Wow. Um, so there we go. Yeah. Do you think that, in particular, California and Mendocino County is... I mean, this is kind of a stupid question. Is as prepared as they can be for a possible surge coming in from these other red states and, and, and the third wave that we're seeing around the country? Is it going to catch us, and are we prepared to deal with it if it does? Well, you know, COVID, to be sure, is in California already. So right. I, I don't, it really is on California and Californians to control it. I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of spillover from other states affecting us in a significant way. It's really, at this point, fairly deeply distributed throughout the entire country. And it just is a question of what we do locally and statewide in order to control it. And I have been talking, um, you know, repeatedly um, about our concerns with the the convergence of flu season and the wet season, if it ever arrives, when we all go indoors. And we have learned, you know, fairly clearly um, that indoor prolonged contact is how this spreads. Um, and so once we go inside, it's, it's going to get worse. Um, there's no doubt about it. It can be contained or it can be at least mitigated significantly if we keep these measures in place, unfortunately, probably all through the fall and into the early spring. I mean, that's, that's the realistic timeline before we get, start to get through this. And when do you expect to see like cases of flu beginning to infiltrate the, the numbers? Here <laughs> you know, flu's, flu's not here yet. Um, you know, the CDC hasn't really updated. Last I checked, it's been a little, it's been a few days, but they have a sort of a distribution map of where the flu is in the country. And it's not, it's not in California yet. I don't think we're really actually seeing sporadic cases or very many cases anywhere in the country yet. It typically gets here late in October. Um, and, it, you know, where it starts, is hard to predict, but it oftentimes does not start in California. It usually starts somewhere east and moves its way sure. west. 
Uh, a couple of questions I've had from people just during the week that I'm curious about. One was with the rushing of a possible vaccine. Uh, the, the obvious first thing you think of is, is it because it's being rushed, it might not be effective or not be as effective as it could be or tested as well. But there's someone brought up the point of is it possible also to trigger a mutation to make the the virus even more virulent by put by playing around with something we don't yet know its full extent without the proper testing? No, I mean the vaccine itself is not going to induce a mutation in the virus that makes it more virulent or less virulent. Uh, that that that's not something that we would expect or even biologically foresee to happen. Uh, vaccines just don't work that way. I, I I hesitate to say that we are, you know, rushing toward a vaccine in a dangerous way. It has been unfortunately politicized. Um and that that undermines our confidence in a way that is, you know, concerning, um, particularly if we have a fair number of vaccine skeptics or vaccine adverse people. I think, frankly, that there's been enough pushback from the medical establishment and from public health that these big pharma companies have put the brakes on the political pressure a bit. Regardless, they're still going through the fairly robust, you know, multi-stage clinical trials and all of the preliminary data coming out of the multiple, I mean, there are about 50 vaccines in trial right now, um, 10 or 11 of which are in the phase three. Um, but the preliminary data on most of these vaccines is quite encouraging. They're not, we're not seeing a lot of um, safety concerns. I mean, there are some adverse events maybe that are due to the vaccine, but in general, they're looking to be quite safe and also inducing the immunity that we need to see. There are a lot of different kinds of vaccines in development, and some of them have some advantages over others. Two of the sort of most advanced, most promising vaccines, one from Pfizer and one from uh, Moderna, um, are both mRNA-based vaccines, which are very unstable, which means that they need to be frozen um, at very low temperatures uh, up until administration, which unfortunately... Transportation, it creates it creates yeah. a huge supply problem, um, a supply chain problem, and so hopefully some of the other vaccines that are also in fairly late stages are a bit more stable. But again, all this data is still percolating through. What do you think it's done to change the perspective since the president's experience recently? Uh, are, uh, are we all assuming that we can we can get the same cocktail he got when we rushed down to <laughs> yeah, good the luck. Mendocino Clinic? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't think any of us is going to receive his treatment um, anytime soon. In fact, I was talking to a few of my colleagues, and he is likely the only person in the country, if not the world, who has received <laughs> that oh. combination of medications. It's, it's really sort of uncharted territory. And, you know, whether that helped or not, we have no way of knowing. We do know, even though he's in a high, higher risk category, the vast majority of people in his age with his risk factors still do OK. So it's not it's not surprising that he has recovered. He had probably, you know, somewhere between an 80 and 90 percent chance of recovering from this uneventfully, mm -hmm. even without sort of this, you know. Right. gold standard treatment or right. potentially gold standard treatment but no we're not we're not close to getting sort of the antibody cocktail um approved or distributed um for the general population and more troubling even yet is the fact that that antibody cocktail probably has to be administered very early on in the illness mm -hmm. um and if we're adding fifty thousand cases a day 
it, we're a long way from having 50,000 daily doses of that antibody cocktail. Oh my goodness. Well, we want to open up the call of the lines and see if you have any questions for Dr. Drew about anything you've heard or anything that you've been wondering about. Uh, I did have one other person who approached me in the store the other day and said, hey, what if you've got a broken nose and you can't get the, the, the Q-tip up there to really get a test? Is there another way around this thing? Because anybody goes up my nose, I can't, I can't deal with it. <laughs> well, that, that's actually, I, I haven't encountered anybody with a deviated septum. The Q-tip is actually fairly skinny, um, and we don't. I think we still don't, unfortunately, have a lot of the oral swab test um, capabilities in this county. Those capabilities do exist, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think there's any um, hospital or clinic that's running the machines that use the oral swab, unfortunately. So in this county, unfortunately, we are still doing the nasal swab. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, let's take some calls. Caller, you're on the air with Dr. Drew. Go ahead. Dr. Drew, thank you very much. Um, Peter over here in Little River. And my discussion with my chiropractor a couple of days ago revealed a couple of things. Uh, hand washing um, has uh, six steps that I learned. With uh, one occasion when I got to wash my hands eating at McCallum House, because they have a little sign there outside where you wash your hands. And the steps are. You wash the front of your hands, you walk the back of your hands, wash between your fingers, you wash around the base of your thumb, you wash your, you scrub your fingernails, and you wash your wrists. How do you, now, why do you have to eat at McCallum House to get six easily printable steps and that could be on flyers, on the radio, all the little people get, sing happy birthday. <laughs> Come on, let's get the word out. Information is your business. Please get on this. We want some posters and information on the radio one time. This is how you wash your hands, kids. Let's make them up. I want to make a little rhyme with six steps in it, you know? Where's the scrub brush? Where's now, where's your little fingernail scrub brush? Did you clean your nails enough to make it worth cleaning them? Or without a vacuum, something you would really accept it because they're so long and dirty under there like mine? Let's think about these things in an intellectual uh, way, way, not like the idiots swarming the country. Thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I, I, a, a rant on hand washing. I appreciate it. I, appreciate I really it. do. And yeah. it's, it's a good call for our creative people to come up with a nice rhyme or a nice uh, post that can be on every street corner it, so just just to be clear i mean six, six steps is 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 a good idea but really the the bottom line is you need warm or hot soapy water for at least 20 seconds um preferably a little bit longer and um pretty vigorous massaging of hands under that water and you know the the hand washing protocol for a surgeon for example is two minutes underwater um with with a brush under the nails and everything else but you know we're not we're not exactly all surgeons about to right. go into a body cavity so <laughs> let's hope not yeah <laughs> all right caller you're on the air go ahead thank you and thanks for the show um i'm one i'm having a very hard time i'm 68 finding a high dose flu shot um in mm. the county is it that important that I get a high-dose one, or is it just important that I get a flu shot? I'm in very good health. 
It's important that you get a flu shot. Um, and I don't know where you're located in the county, but the local clinics around the county um, are all, um, I think they all now have the flu vaccine. So call them or call your provider. I know some clinics are also setting up drive-through influenza testing so you don't actually have to go into a building. Uh, here in Anderson Valley, we are doing that on Wednesday afternoon. I think you can go to the Anderson Valley Health Center Clinic if you're local enough. But drive-through testing um, in Anderson Valley Wednesday afternoon at the high school parking lot is an option. But get the flu shot. If you can't find the high-dose one, don't worry about it. It is a good time now to get the flu shot. We had a lot of calls back in September about timing of flu mm-hmm. vaccine. But get it now. Don't put it off any longer, certainly. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, moving on to the next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask him about uh, we're going back to standard time mm-hmm. on November 1st. And so daylight savings times end, I'll say that. Yes. And so um, usually during that time period, there are, you know, quite a few deaths that do occur because people either forget to take their medication or other things, and I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what those are, but also people become really tired and stressed because, and so I'm wondering how this is going to affect with COVID. And Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm not sure if there's a significant mortality bump um, on the days or the few days after the switch um, back from daylight savings time. I, I haven't heard that previously. I'm, I'm not sure if that's something that we actually see on a national level. I you know, as nights get longer um, and as days get shorter and as things get colder, we all tend to go into a bit of a uh, depressive yeah. state. That's certainly well documented, and we certainly have good reason to be more depressed than usual. I think we are all really, really tired of this year um, and everything that has been going on and not been occurring um, in this country. Uh, so I, I, I have spoken in the past about the emotional stress of this and it's it's real and it's concerning we've seen i've seen a a very large number um of people who are really struggling emotionally um with this stress and that is going to get worse as the days get shorter and 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 colder um that's unfortunate i think we really need to collectively uh, reach out to um family members and friends and support one another in a socially distanced way um until we can get through this but it's you know it's still going to be a long hard cold winter unfortunately but there is light at the end i mean i i really am optimistic that we're going to start getting vaccines i think i will probably be vaccinated by the end of the year mm-hmm. um which which is you know great for healthcare providers but it's not going to get to everybody else sometime but it's a start you know it's a start you know but it's 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 a ways off still it, it's it feels like this has gone on way too long already all right let's move to our next caller caller you're on the air go ahead with dr drew Hi, Dr. Drew. Um, uh, we heard that there's a rash associated with COVID, and I'd like to know if that rash is something that is uh, comes along with the other symptoms, or is it possible to have a rash without any of the symptoms, and what you know about uh, rash in, in concerning to uh, the COVID virus. Thank you. Sure. So there, there is a rash. There are actually a couple of different skin manifestations of COVID. Um, 
one that's gotten a lot of attention is this sort of COVID toes, if you will. Um, and we actually, I actually had a colleague who saw somebody with that for the first time in Ukiah ER um, last week, which was very exciting for all of us. Um, <laughs> but it's it's kind of a purplish discoloration of usually toes, potentially fingers. Um, so that's one um, skin manifestation. And then, you know, COVID is a virus, and viruses cause sort of a fine non-specific rash in some cases and we have seen a few people with that as well typically uh we don't see just that um and so somebody with just a rash is unlikely to have covid however this this virus um has so many uh, variations and so many uh, manifestations in patients that it's really hard to say whether one symptom or another is caused by COVID. Um, And I have been surprised more than a few times when a COVID test comes back positive in uh, in patients I've seen. Uh, It's going to be diagnostically even more challenging once influenza is among us because the symptoms of flu and the symptoms of COVID in the vast majority of patients are going to co-vary quite a bit. Just real quickly, the the toe thing, is that a circulation issue that they turn color, or do they just turn color on their own? It it is a circulation thing. Um, It's thought to be due to the virus's dysregulation of uh, arteries um, in some way, but it's not well understood yet, along with many things with COVID. (laughs) All right. We have another caller. Caller, you go ahead with Dr. Drew. Go ahead, caller. I think they... right, we'll move on to the next one. Caller, you're on with Dr. True. Do you have a question? Hello. Hello. Oh, for two. Yeah, sounds like it. All right. Uh, caller, do you have a question for Dr. Drew today? Oh, hi. Yes. Uh, Dr. Drew, thank you for your dedication to this show and to the community. Um, my question is, sometimes people continue to test positive long after symptoms go away, and they are no longer contagious. So as an employer that is the needle in the haystack that we're trying to thread is keeping people home until they are well but, and not contagious is not necessarily being at the mercy of a negative test result while still following all the CDC guidelines. Right. Um, do you have any advice here? And I will take my answer off the air. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. So testing is not necessary and not recommended to um, prove non-contagiousness, if you will. Um, it's it, Some people harbor some fragments of the virus for weeks to months even, um, but from what we can determine, those individuals are no longer contagious, which is why the CDC uh, guideline calls for isolation for 10 days. Um, And if an individual is without symptoms, um, and not when I say without symptoms, I mean not taking medications to suppress symptoms, particularly fever, uh, for at least three days um, at the end of those 10 days, then that individual can safely rejoin our socially distanced society and go back to work. You know, it's been confused because we've been, you know, hearing press reports about Trump's retesting and whether Mm -hmm. he's positive or negative. That's not indicated. That's just bad medicine and bad science, and the press has been confusing that. He shouldn't be retested uh, to prove that he's not contagious. That's not how this works. 
No, I mean, he's also being retested on a machine that's not <laughs> designed for that kind of a, an assay. So, And he's been given antibodies, so you would think that the tests would be somewhat skewed by all of that. Uh, no, the, the antibodies, from what we know, the antibodies wouldn't affect the test result. Mm -hmm. um, it might affect how he would respond to a repeat infection, um, but the, the test results for what it's worth, uh, which is essentially nothing, um, shouldn't be affected by the medications he received. All right. We'll take another caller. Caller, you're on the air. you have a question? Yes, Dr. Drew, you say when we go inside in the winter that this thing spreads more easily. But if, if you're an older person and you just basically, you know, you wear your mask when you go out and you go to the store, you come back home, you know, and, then, you know, you're with your wife, basically... If we're inside more, that really doesn't matter. It's just the fact that if you're outside, it it's, uh, doesn't spread as well, right? Yeah, so when I say inside, I, I'm really referring to being inside with others, um, outside your living arrangement. So, you know, in it, what we have learned over and over again, you know, it's it's evolved since, since I started talking about this back in February. Um, and what we really know now is it is sustained indoor contact that spreads this virus. Um, and when I say sustained, I'm not talking about passing somebody in this, you know, in the aisle in Safeway. You need to be in an enclosed space for at least 15 minutes uh, to substantially increase your risk of contracting COVID from somebody that has COVID. And healthcare workers, were, you know, I'm seeing somebody with COVID pretty much every day. I'm masked up to be sure, but I'm also not spending prolonged amounts of time in any individual room, and neither are my colleagues, and we're by and large, not contracting COVID just by that mechanism. But that's why things such as schools and churches and restaurants and bars are all huge um, modes of transmission. So my advice for you, sir, is go out, get your groceries, do your essential activities. Don't linger indoors anywhere with other people. Um, when you get home, wash your hands, as our previous caller um, discussed. And, you know, that's, that's about as much as you can do to mitigate your risks. But I would not engage in any higher risk um, indoor activity right now. That's just not a good idea, particularly for somebody who is a bit more elderly and at higher risk of doing poorly with this. Okay. Uh, looks like we have one last call we'll take. Uh, go ahead, caller. You're on the air with Dr. Drew. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call, and thank you, Dr. Drew, for um, uh, doing all of this. Uh, I have a question about gatherings, and I am wondering if a two-hour outside educational presentation or training would be compliant with the current COVID guidelines for us. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be fine. Outdoor activities, we've learned, are quite safe. I would insist on masking and um, social distancing of six feet. So if you have a large enough area and you can put tape on the floor or on the deck or wherever these people are going to be gathered outside, then I would do that and keep people at least six feet apart, maybe space the chairs out. But that then would be sufficiently low risk. I think that would be fine. Um, that, the risk there is easily mitigated and f quite low indeed. And while we're talking about gatherings, one, you know, I mentioned schools and bars and restaurants and whatever, um, but we also are seeing a 
significant number of cases, not locally so much, because I think we've learned over the course of the last couple months that um, that gatherings are a significant route of transmission. Um, but nationally, we're seeing a lot of private get-togethers leading to leading um, the increase in cases. So, you know, parties, birthday parties, um, anniversaries, whatever it is, those have been over and over again shown to really result in these super spreader events or even sub super spreader events. Um, And so, they're they're just a bad idea. Um, In the holidays, I think, you know, two weeks ago, I had a call about Thanksgiving. I, I... I love the holidays. I think this is going to be a pretty depressing holiday season if we want to stay safe. Well, and we want another holiday season after that. We have to stay safe. (laughs) So everyone do your part. Wear your masks. Wash your hands. Social distance. Uh, If you don't need to go out and do something, don't do it. Um, And, uh, you know, just try try to get through this like we're all doing, Dr. Drew. We will get through it. Thank you again, as always, for coming in and helping us out. We'll see you again on Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday afternoon. All right, great. Thank you again, and we'll have uh, Alicia back at the helm here and uh, be able to hopefully get some some positives out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Rich, for manning the controls. I was uh, dreading that. You're very welcome. No problem. We're now going to go into uh, the reveal program, already in progress. Thank you so much for joining and listening to KZYX and Z. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.